Are you blessed or are you cursed With a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst Do you wanna confide about the darkness inside Come and talk about it on Self-Worst Okay, hello, hi, I'm back It's me, Brad Pearson, host of the show Self-Worst Podcast With Brad Pearson, I'm Brad Pearson, hi What's up? Uh, took a week off last week, not because I needed to, you know, take a break or whatever. I just, I didn't get a guest booked. Sorry. It doesn't always come together, but I got a guest this week and I got a guest for next week already in the can. So I'm making up for lost time. What are you going to do? You can't win them all. You can't win them all, says guy who wins none of them. Boom. Hi. Uh, so I'm going to uh, Asbury Park soon. By the time this episode is up, we're going to be in beautiful Asbury Park, New Jersey. Isn't that great? I can finally kick back. We're going to just let the beach heal us. We're going to the beach that makes you young. Dottie's going to get to frolic around. There's a dog beach there. We're just going to chill. I feel, I feel good. I had a long day. Um, got up real early, not to brag, but I've been going to that 7.30 a.m. jujitsu class. Um, and I also went out late last night, got my ass all the way up to Bushwick to see a friend of the show, Darren Keene. He came and uh, did a did a little set in, in Bushwick, Brooklyn. So I went and saw him, um, got my ass up there because, you know, family honor loyalty. He did me a solid by coming on the show and talking to me about all that stuff, so I, I want to go support him. It's about, it's about mutual, you know, you help, you, help, you help people in the arts. You help out your comrades in the arts. By the way, if you are in the New York City area, I think he's doing another show tonight. Uh, yeah, he's doing another show tonight uh, at the Broadway. I don't know, look that up. Look. If you happen to be in the New York area and you are listening to this episode on the day it's released, uh, August 18th, you still have time. You can still go do that. But we're not talking about that right now. This is not Darren's episode. This is an episode for John F. O'Donnell, my gracious guest who came to the came on the show. And I just, uh, yeah, I just got off the uh, the Zoom with him. Uh, we just ended the interview, and uh, now I, I, I feel a sense of release. I, was, I really built this one up in my head, for whatever reason. Just because, I don't know, I was, I'm not going to lie, I was a little intimidated having him on the show. Just because, uh, you know, so far as mental health and podcasting and uh, all of that stuff, he's, uh, he's fucking killing it. You ever meet somebody who's uh, doing your thing, but just better? <laughs> that's that's what it is. So go check out his show, uh, John F. O'Donnell's podcast. If you like this show, you will love that podcast. Uh, it's called Take Your Pills, Psychopath. Um, and he just fucking crushes it. He crushes it with frank discussions of mental health struggles. Uh, just told in really elo- eloquent and amusing and beautiful, vulnerable ways. And it's just, uh, he's good at it, man. He's good at interviewing the guests. 
I get all built up in my head sometimes. I don't know. I'm in my head about it. I'm building. I, I, I'm beating myself up about, oh, I should have done, done that. Oh, it was too tense. It's really hard to get comfortable on the mic if you're listening to this. You ever try it? Why don't you make your own podcast if you think it's so good, it's so easy? You're stuck with me. Why don't you go listen to John's show then and abandon me like everyone else? Spiraling. I don't know. Look, um, I'm having a I'm having a good day. The interview went really well. We got into some good stuff. I mean, you know, he he came and he threw the heat like I knew he would. Uh, he's dealt with a lot. He's uh, he's bipolar um, or suffers from bipolar one. I don't know. There's some controversy in the terminology. Like, is a person bipolar or do they have bipolar? Is a person autistic or do they have autism? Blah, 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 whatever. You know what I'm saying? One thing I like about John is uh, we, we try and not get caught up in the weeds of uh, the language. And just like, yeah, say what you need to, to express the thing. If you need to say crazy, look, that's our word. And I don't take offense at being called crazy or I don't think it, I don't think the the crazy label is offensive. It's it, you know it's it's fine. We've been through it, and he's really been through it. If if crazy was like Jedi powers, I'd be like a guy moving stuff around. I could like summon a lightsaber to my hand. He'd be like fucking Yoda. So you see, I was I, I felt like outgunned. I was like, okay, this guy this guy knows his shit. This guy's been through some shit. He's seen some shit. I better bring my A game. And I put all that pressure on myself. And you'll probably hear the anxiety in my voice now that you're looking for it. But I think it turned out really well. He was a good guest. And uh, pressure's off now. Go check out his show if you're in the New York area, by the way, and you're listening to this. Uh, it's every Friday. At the Cobra Club in in Bushwick. It's called Live from Outer Space. Go check that out. Go check out his show. I'm just plugging everything. I'll plug my... Just plugs. Plugs in general. I'll plug my shit. Follow me at Radical Pearson on Instagram and Twitter. Follow the show at SelfWorst. You can email the show at SelfWorst at gmail.com. Drop me a line. Tell me what you think. Um, Send me some lewd pictures if you want or send send me whatever just like type a random thing into google image search download the first picture send that to me whatever comes to mind aloe a wombat 1976 just whatever just free associate send something to me i'm very lonely all right uh, and that's about it for, uh, oh yeah, that's, no, it's not, uh, patreon.com slash self worst. Uh, go check that out and contribute as little as a dollar a month and you get bonus content. You get video, you get, uh, little cut deleted scenes, uh, you know, stuff that I, uh, ended up on the cutting room floor from the episodes and, you know, just little, little bonus little guys. So check that out. Um, and I don't know, that's about it. I guess we can go to the episode now. I don't know. Man, I'm I'm feeling a little punchy. Like I said, I got up early. I went and got a haircut. Uh, and 
I uh, I didn't I didn't cut it all off. I just got you know got it shaped a little bit, and um, and, and then I took a nap. So I'm I'm just I'm feeling a little funky, but that's okay. Sometimes you just feel funky. All right. Uh, that's all. I love you. Take care of yourselves. And, uh, let's go to the episode. I'm a little tired. I took a tap. I took a power nap just now and I fell a little too deep into, you know, too many inception layers of sleep down into, uh, into the inky blackness. So I'm a little like, trying to come out of it, but um, I hear you. I hear yeah. you. We can have, if we have a low key chill talk, that's fine with me, man. How's your sleep schedule been? I've heard uh, recently your sleep schedule has been a little wonky. Have you, have you gotten a handle on it? Yeah, it's been all right. It's been better. It's weird. I'll, I'll go through like periods of time where I'm waking up early and having productive days. And then other days I'll just like sleep in. But lately it's been a little bit better. Although today in between these podcasts, I did take a nap as well. Um, but I am definitely getting enough sleep, which is like the primary, most important thing. Because if I, if I find myself not getting enough sleep, then I can slip into like, uh, potentially that could be a trigger for a manic episode, you know? Right. That can be, that can be scary. That can be really, uh, I mean, I'm sure we'll go into the, 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 the manic episodes and stuff a lot, but, um, I, I feel like it must be really, uh, just a, a creepy feeling to be like it, it could be around any corner, you know, um, and, and, and like the vigilance, the, the vigilance must be really taxing, I would imagine. Well, I would say I would say yes and no. I would say it's always something lingering in the back of my mind. Like, could this happen again? But also, I feel like because I'm on a, uh, you know, like a healthy regimen, lifestyle wise, medication wise, I'm not like constantly in a state of like, Oh my God, am I going to spin out? You know, I feel ultimately these days I feel optimistic, uh, which I think is good. I haven't always felt that way and it's been a long road to get there or to get here. But these days I feel like, okay, I'm, I'm good. I'm going to continue to be good. And now I just want to, you know, accomplish these things that I'm set out to accomplish. Great. Yeah. So for the listener, let's, um, you know, in case they aren't familiar with you and your work, um, you're John F. O'Donnell. You've got a, a great podcast about mental health uh, called Take Your Pills Psycho. Is it Take Your Pills Psychopath or Take Your Pills Psycho? Just Psycho. Take Your Pills Psychopath. Psychopath. Okay. Um, yeah. And uh, it's it's really fucking great. And you deal with bipolar one. Um, can you walk us through a little bit of that and what that experience has been like? Yeah, sure. I um. I got the diagnosis uh, when I was in college and initially was quite heart wrenching and really uh, just uh, totally demoralizing and really hard for me to accept for many years. I kind of denied it and thought I could kind of outrun the illness where I would just like have a manic episode, have a depressive episode and just sort of somehow bounce back and then just sort of just try to move forward with my life without really addressing what was going on. But uh mm-hmm. Just every few years it would keep happening and it just caused too many setbacks in my life. And I just realized and, you know, and it would not only hurt my life, it would hurt people that I care about, um, you know. And uh, so I just decided I really, really have to accept this thing. I have to take care of it. I mean, I felt a lot of stigma, self-imposed stigma about having a mental illness. Like I um, 
I couldn't say that I deal with mental illness. I couldn't say that out loud without crying for like many years. Um, and yeah, so I have bipolar one disorder. It used to be called manic depression, which linguistically I just prefer the term manic depression. But it sounds whatever. cooler. It's got the Hendrix connotation, you know. It just sounds <laughs> yeah. a lot. It sounds a exactly. lot tighter. I have a joke I used to do about how there used to be really cool. There's a really cool song called Manic Depression by Jimi Hendrix. There's no song called Bipolar Disorder. That song would suck, and then I would sing like the Bipolar Disorder song. You know it's what I mean? funny how terminology changes a lot in um, mental health stuff because I mean we've. I've talked with um, some of my guests and my own therapist about uh, borderline personality disorder um, because like for me personally, a lot of my symptoms of ADHD overlap with BPD a lot, uh, especially like emotional dysregulation and impulsivity and stuff. Um, And I remember kind of blanching at the term, you know, borderline personality disorder and like not wanting that to be true and like looking through all the, um, the qualifications for BPD and just being like, Oh man, do I have this? And, and like my therapist just saying like, well, you might, but it's, it's also like, don't take the term personal. It's a bad term. And like, there's someone who like works in therapy and like is a big believer in the DSM, and they're just like, this term sucks. This term is really bad and we should change it. And it's it's just it just makes people feel worse. Yeah, it just makes people feel you're right. It makes people feel worse. And these labels are highly imperfect. And it's the sort of thing where I think now the thinking is that you can't just label somebody with one of these disorders and have that completely encapsulate who they are or what's going on with them, mm-hmm. uh, where it's more of like a guideline uh, and you have to really look at the symptoms and see things along a kind of continuum of uh, of what a, of what compared to just getting labeled with a diagnosis. Um, and it is interesting. So sometimes maybe terms change for the better. Maybe sometimes they change for the worse, depending on people's perspective on it. Yeah. Um, you know, to me, bipolar disorder is strange because bi means two. So it's only like you're experiencing two emotions, like incredibly elevated, incredibly low. It kind of like carves out the fact uh that you can feel the entire spectrum of emotions um that's just but that's just my subjective assessment of it and i don't mind the term that much to be honest i've kind of gotten over that um but yeah but for those that may not know it's a mood disorder that's marked by these manic highs with like racing thoughts and um you know increased energy and it can even kind of like cross a threshold into psychotic thinking um, and real agitation, grandiose thinking, even messianic thinking. And then it's the sort of thing of what goes up must come down. So after being manic, oftentimes be followed by an equally debilitating depression, debilitating in a different way, like a clinical depression and all of the things associated with that. You know, the slowing down of the brain, the, uh, you know, feelings of worthlessness, inability to get out of bed, uh, function, etc. cetera. Uh, and then a person just has to figure out how to claw their way out of it and uh move forward with life and i think it takes a lot of uh a lot of resilience and a lot of uh just a lot of work yeah um when you were diagnosed in college um about what year was that that was see that was like the early 2000s Mm. so it was like there was i feel like there was more stigma yeah then than there even is now. I feel like a lot of 
folks who are getting diagnoses these days seem to be rolling with it. Uh, and there seems to be maybe in some cases a sense of relief where it's like, oh, now I know what's been going on with me. Like, for example, I have a friend and she she got a borderline personality disorder diagnosis. And I asked her, I was like, was that sort of heart wrenching for you or was it helpful for you? And she said it was really helpful because she now could put in she could put a name to what was going on with her. Yeah. So in that case, it was helpful. But in your case, it was you had so much internalized stigma at the time that it was really difficult to accept. Yeah, I looked for like any other possible reason or answer of what could be going on. Like I looked into all sorts of like kind of like Eastern, you know, consciousness uh, evolution, Mm -hmm. sort of like all of those sort of roads. I looked into like the psychologist Carl Jung and stuff like that, the psychoanalyst. I, I basically would look for any reason to not call it a chemical imbalance, you know, like uh in my brain, but also in the, these days, I'm still torn about that. I don't know. They haven't really made any progress about these quote unquote chemical imbalances with the neurotransmitters and the synapses and stuff like that. So I guess I believe it, but I don't know for sure. I mean, they just came out with, they just, I mean, I guess these studies have been coming out for, for decades, but they just sort of pop uh, psychology was just covering how they don't even know if serotonin plays a major role in depression. You know, that just came out like last week. It's like unbelievable. So I think the brain is super complex. We don't really know what's going on. We're learning more every day. And I guess people are just trying their best. Um, But but yeah, I just look for any other reason not to have to say that I deal with uh, mental illness for sure. Um, And then it was really. Big part of it was like addressing things that happened and you know, addressing what I've been through through comedy and figuring out how to like dig deep and make that stuff funny and having people laugh with me about it, that I was able to sort of process all of this and not, yeah. and, you know, and, and overcome some of the stigma. Yeah. Um, a lot of the other explanations that you had, so, you know, so far as like a, like Eastern enlightenment that, that you like had like a messianic, complex um i had heard through your own um show that that played a lot into your manic episodes as well um well that would be that would be i mean i would be believing that when i was in my manic episodes so then after the fact you know if you find something that says like oh that sort of process is uh, is enlightenment where what's happening is you're tapping into the oneness of life and there's a ton of energy there but you don't have a framework to understand it because you only have a Western monotheistic worldview. So you can't process this as like a, as like some sort of a process of evolution. Instead, you get your ego gets unhinged and you become messianic. And then so after the fact, if you look if you look it up and you're like, oh, I was just experiencing enlightenment. I'm not you know, I'm not crazy. That's a way better story, you know? feels a lot better yeah that definitely is a lot more like oh i'm actually uh one with the universe and and might be some sort of second coming yeah well yeah well i didn't really believe the second coming stuff like in between episodes that would only be in the throes of mania but it's but but you sort of look at you're like oh people that experience what i experienced in other cultures are known as shamans and they're really respected in the community so but i mean a lot of it has to do with 
pragmatically like can you function can you be like that and function in the society you're in do i want to go sit on a mountain in nepal for the rest of my life i don't you know that's not something i'm gonna go do you know so right. it's like can you function in the society that you're in and then also it's just i don't after whenever i look back at how i acted during those times it's just it's awful you know it's like uh I'll end up alienating all these people that care about me. I end up hanging out with new people that have, don't have any other frame of reference to know me and find me interesting in sort of some sort of like, uh, you know, I don't know, as a spectacle or something like that. But I end up, you know, I've burned my life to the ground and it's been really, uh, it's been really challenging to rebuild things. Yeah. Can you uh, walk us through that or give us some examples of, um, you know, like what, uh, paint a paint a short uh, a, sh a short picture a short story of uh, what one of these manic episodes is like. What you know how fast it comes on and uh, how it kind of breaks down. Okay, I'll tell you uh, the uh, epic manic episode of two thousand eight. How about that in Ireland? Sure. Um, yeah. So. Kind of like a nightmare had kind of come true that I'd already be doing comedy in New York City and then have one of these episodes and potentially like burn bridges and like hurt my reputation after trying yeah. to kind of establish myself, you know, so. And this was after you had already uh, known or accepted, had been diagnosed and accepted yeah. the diagnosis of, of bipolar. Yeah. And so I basically... And a big trigger, uh, one of the another trigger for me is marijuana. Like I, I it's weird. It's like I'll, if I start ramping up and getting manic, I'll like crave smoking it. But then that just like puts like fuel on the fire. Yeah. And really, really just like explodes my brain. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm very, I'm very pro weed, but I do have caveats with that where I know that for people with a uh, certain, uh, um, disorders uh especially the more uh like uh, manic or semi-psychotic ones it can really it can just fully inflame that and like make it way way worse so it's not i'm not one of those guys who's like yeah everybody should just smoke weed like it'd be fine it's it's harmless it's it's for everybody it's like mm, like be careful no like, absolutely it is, not. it is a drug and it is a psychedelic and those <clears throat> psychedelic drugs can be potentially very uh, powerful and very destructive in the wrong brain. Sorry. I'm definitely one of those caveats. Like if I, if what happened to me when I smoked weed happened to the general public, like that shit would never be legalized. <laughs> like it would be like a class a, like they would legalize anthrax before they would legalize marijuana. It's, yeah. It's, I mean, like, it's, it's, it's like PCP for you. It like fully makes you uh, insane. It's not good. Yeah. It's not good. Um, but anyway, so I, uh, I was at like a comedy festival in new Orleans, smoked some weed, um, on my birthday cut to like, I don't know, a month or more later, I'm starting to spin out and be manic. I'm smoking weed constantly. I'm drinking constantly. I'm just like, and at first it was cause my friends had never experienced this with me. So at first they didn't know what was going on or they thought maybe I was just being like this outgoing person, you know, because I was like being an outgoing comedian. Right. And I was like fucked up or something like that. So people didn't really realize initially that something was wrong. But then and I can't remember like specifics really of what of what I did in that situation. But I remember I do remember I remember like 
I got mad at like a group of people that were sitting at a table for not coming up into the show. And I really yelled at them and almost got in a fight with one of the people. I ended up getting like kicked out of different venues, even venues that I really helped kind of like start and stuff like that. So it was really kind of heartbreaking. And then I was scheduled to go perform in Scotland at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Like all of that was set up before I started spinning out. And I still ended up going over there to Ireland and Scotland. Um, and my family and my friends were like, we really don't want you to go on this trip. You know, you're not well right now, but I just could not accept that. Like I thought I was just sort of like living my life at a higher level, higher level of consciousness and everybody else just wanted to kind of like pigeonhole me as being mentally ill so they could, you know, compartmentalize me and dismiss me so they wouldn't have to change the way they were living their lives. Like that was like the mental gymnastics that I was playing. So I find myself going over to Ireland and then I have a story that I tell that I'll tell you that I'll tell you right now that is like it's uh, it's it's pretty out there, but it's like I was so paranoid when I was over there. Like I thought that like um, the CIA and descendants of the Nazis were trying to kill me um, because I realized that after World War Two, they uh the CIA collaborated with the, with Nazi scientists in order to better, you know, for the space program and yeah. also with other spies in order to better Operation Paperclip. In order you're not. To better, yeah, you're um, not wrong. That is a thing yeah. that happened. No, I know. But like people know about that. Yeah. But I really took it to heart and was like, oh, they're going to try to, like, you know, take me off the board for knowing this. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, <laughs> knowing this stuff that's like on Wikipedia and shit. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, which is hilarious. And uh, so. But I thought, and this is kind of funny and embarrassing, I thought like Bono and the IRA were protecting me. <laughs> so those were like the good guys and the bad guys. It was Bono and the IRA uh -huh. versus the CIA and the Nazis, and I was in the middle, right? So I, would, well, I would watch the shit out of that movie. <laughs> it's not the worst plot. It's not the worst. Um, so it's not the least interesting. So I'm in Ireland, and this is what I'm believing. And I remember this one day, I'm like, it's so funny because I was like running through the city, like freaking out. And it's just a beautiful day in Dublin. And everybody it's like in the city center and it's very laid back. It mm -hmm. was like everybody's just sitting at pubs and drinking and whatever. There wasn't too much. There wasn't a ton of foot traffic at the time for whatever reason. So it's just me like freaking out in this like beautiful, pristine day, which is kind of funny. Um, and I remember I was holding this like black duffel bag and I was like freaking out. And then I see this guy, this older guy who was holding a bag that like in my mind's eye looked similar enough to the bag that I thought we were going to do the old classic bag drop thing. You right. Know what I mean, right. You pretend he, to, yeah, you, you sit down at a table <laughs> together. You have a fake conversation. You put it, you, you switch bags. Yeah. Or we were just going to do it walking in the street. Like he okay. was going to put his bag down. I was going to put my bag down. So I walked up kind of close to him, put my bag down, and he just like kept walking away, you know? <laughs> like, this asshole, he's fucking it up the bag drop. He's fucking up the bag drop. I, I mean, help me out here, you know what I mean? Right. Like, I'm the John F. O'Donnell that the CIA and these Nazis are looking for, you know? Um, so right as that happened, um, I look over across the street, and there's an entrance to this hotel. It's called, like, the Marion Hotel, which is one of Ireland's, 
I guess it's a pretty fancy hotel. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I and I perceived that this guy in a suit like gestured towards me with his newspaper to come into the hotel. So I was like, oh, this guy's trying to protect me. I got to go into this hotel. So I go into the hotel, sit at this table that he's sitting at. And then there's these older folks who are dressed very nicely, also sitting at the table. And they're speaking a foreign language that I perceive to be German. And I'm like, oh, these are probably like Nazi descendants who have come here to see if they can find the real John F. O'Donnell. And they're probably from Argentina and they got rich off of all this stolen Jewish gold or something like that was what I was thinking. You had a whole backstory for these guys. Yeah. Yeah. I gave him a whole backstory. Uh, So then I was like, okay, I have to let this guy who who uh, gestured for me to come into the hotel. I have to let him know that I'm the John F. O'Donnell he's looking for while at the same time not tipping my hand to these other people. So like I opened my bag that just had like a handful of books in it. It had like it had like um, a People's History of the United States by Howard Zinn. Right. Uh, That's a banger. <laughs> classic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it had a. Uh, this book called The Gay Science by Frederick Nietzsche. Uh, it's a really interesting book. Um, and um, let's see. Uh, it had a, a Confederacy of Dunces by John Kennedy Toole. That's a fun one. And um, Steve Martin's book, uh, Steve Martin's stand-up the book. Born Standing Up. Born Standing Up, yeah, one. for some reason. You got some good books. Yeah. So I took out... The uh, Confederacy of Dunces by John Kennedy Toole. And I was like, oh, he'll get this. If I slide this over towards him, he'll realize that the author, John Kennedy Toole, has the middle name. That's the last name of my father's law partner from his old firm, O'Donnell Kennedy. And right. And he'll realize that it's me. I mean, how could you not figure this, that out? These two Irish names will really stick out <laughs> like a sore thumb in the <laughs> middle of Dublin. Oh, yeah, Totally. It's yeah. So I push that over towards him. Yeah. He doesn't even acknowledge it or realize what's going on. So then I'm so kind did of you freaking like out. Nudge it I, a little harder. Than, hmm? I sh- I gave it a, I gave it a proper nudge. Like it was definitely <laughs> weird. It was definitely noticeable. Um, so then I went into I went deeper into the hotel. I went up to the second floor, and there was like a couch at the end of the hall, mm-hmm. like a little sofa. And uh, and I was like, I was really getting paranoid and I was like, OK, I'm probably going to get black bagged V for Vendetta style, yeah. you know, like go, like a black bag over my head. Yep. So I have to like I have to like get rid of any identification that I have of me. And then I have to like so I, I take off. I don't know. I put my, my passport and my ID underneath the couch cushion and stuff like that. I, oh, for some no. reason, I took off whatever bracelets and watch I had. Right. I took off my belt for some reason. Out. Yeah, I pulled my teeth out. Yeah. <laughs> but I took my shoelaces out of my shoes for some right. reason. I don't even know what I was doing. But then I was like, oh, I have to pretend that I'm like a teenage like uh, boy from Colombia. That's what I'm going to have to do to like convince them that I'm not John F. O'Donnell. Right. So right. I'm like. So I start like saying in Spanish, I'm like, yo soy Juan Francisco, yo soy de Colombia, which is kind of funny. It's like I only changed my name like from John F. O'Donnell to Juan Francisco. Like I didn't even right. change it that much. You know <laughs> what I mean? So I'm just like kind of like saying that and practicing that. And then like 15 minutes go by, goes by and like nothing happens. Right. Uh, nobody came to get me. Oh, so some shitty spies. You were right there. You walked right past them. 
I was essentially just like giving myself up. You know what yeah. I mean? I was like ready to like have to, well, not giving myself up, but I was expecting to be detained. Um, so then, then it gets, then, then it gets crazy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm walking on that. I'm walking on the second floor and this woman who works there is made, uh, she's speaking. She's, we we're saying we're talking to each other and she's speaking in, she's from Brazil. So she's speaking in Portuguese and I'm speaking in some sort of broken Spanish. And I said something weird to her, like something like Paz es la vía de uh, luz y cielo, which is like peace is the way to light in heaven or something like mm -hmm. that. But sometimes somehow she heard I locked myself out of my room. Uh -huh. <laughs> so she unlocked one of the rooms for me, room 208. So now I'm in a hotel room by myself and I'm totally like, oh, Bono and the IRA set this up because they want me to just chill off the grid for a while. Mm -hmm. So nice room. Yeah, it was a nice room. It was a fancy hotel and there were pajamas <laughs> laid out in the corner of the bed. So it wasn't a room that somebody was already in. It was like a, it was an empty like setup room. Uh, just wait a minute. Okay. All right. <laughs> So there were pajamas on this on the corner of the bed. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, I guess Bono wants me to put these pajamas on, you know, so logical conclusion. Yeah. So I put them on and then I went to bed for like four hours. Um, and then I woke up and I called my mom on the hotel phone because I forgot to tell you on my way there when I was like racing through Dublin, I was really paranoid that my phone was my cell phone was tapped because I knew that like uh, Verizon, like that um, the Bush administration tapped like whole swaths of Americans phones like through Verizon during when he was in when he was in power. Right. And then um, both Obama and then Obama and McCain and retroactively gave immunity to the Bush administration for doing that. And that was another thing that I was like, I know this crazy thing. Um, right. and the Patriot so, Act. The, yeah, yeah, Patriot X type stuff. And so there was this like 12 year old Serbian beggar girl who was selling like fake roses for two euro and she was holding like a coffee cup. And I just like looked at her cup, looked at my phone, and just like dropped the phone in there and just like ran away. You know wow. what I mean? Which is like pretty insensitive if I really thought the NSA was like tracking that phone or the right. CIA was. You know what I mean? Like it's going to cause her all sorts of problems. Um, so that was kind of messed up. But, uh, in, in crazy land. So anyway, I wake up, I'm talking to my mom on the phone. She's like, Hey, we're really worried about you. You know, are you taking your medication? And then I was, then I just go into this huge tirade about big pharma and how evil they are and stuff mm -hmm. like that. She's like, Oh no. Uh, and then while I'm on the phone with her, the people whose room it was come into the room, <laughs> they open the door, they come in and it's this like British family. These like husband and wife and teenage girl. And they're like, so I was probably wearing the girls pajamas and they're like, uh, they're like, excuse me, this is our room. And then I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, no, it's not. This is my room. I'm on the phone with my mom. Get the hell out of here. So like, I really scared them. So they left, of course. And then in my crazy mind, I was like, OK, I got like 10 minutes before I get kicked out of here. I better take a shower. Right. So I go and I jump in and I take a shower. And then when I get out of the shower, 
I'm like, okay, the only way I'm going to get out of this is if I pretend to be crazy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Which is great, you know? Uh Um, So I'm like, I'm going to have to play the fool like King Lear, (laughs) King Lear style or something like that. So I put on the uh, shower robe. I put on the robe. I put on the shower cap, put a mascara around my eyes, lipstick on my lips. And then I just jump out into the bedroom and there's like all these police are there, like uh, hotel staff, um, security, and everybody's just looking at me and then just show tune style. I just start like like dancing and like shaking my hands like jazz hands. And I'm like, this is my room. This is my room. This is my room of all of the rooms. This one is mine. This is my room, like something weird like that. And they were just all staring at me with their mouths open in like shock. And then out of nowhere, they just start like slow clapping. They're just like clapping. (laughs) And then it it just, uh, it goes into like an uproarious applause. No, that did not happen. I got arrested. Right. (laughs) And went to, they did not applaud. I got arrested and went to Clover Hill prison for like a week. Uh, But that's another tale. But yeah, so that's like, that's like, one of many stories of insanity that then wow. after the fact I've been able to make something creative out of and hopefully something funny out of, you know? Yeah. Um, what did you think was in the other bag? Hmm. I thought maybe some sort of like supplies for me that mm-hmm. I needed to get by, I guess. Okay. But I don't know. I don't even know uh, if I thought yeah, it out. So that far. once you get into like once you, uh, these episodes kind of, you know, you, you paint yourself into a corner and you finally get arrested. Um, how then do you, uh, I don't know, not talk yourself out of it, but how did, how does this, how does this get resolved? How do you, uh, come back from that? Well, it depends. This particular one, interestingly, when they, when I was arrested, they didn't put me on anything. So I just kind of like, got out, got led into the care of a friend that I made when I was in Dublin. And then I continued spinning out into Belfast and Edinburgh and Scotland. And then even when I came back, it was like, this was a very long, super treacherous, like eight month uh, manic episode because I kept just doing more drugs, like smoking more weed and drinking and not getting medicated. But a lot of times if I'm, if it's like nipped in the bud early, like now I have such a um, such a uh, kind of like a plan in place and sort of like a support system in place where if an episode happens, hopefully it gets nipped in the bud really early. I can get into a facility, get into a hospital, get some sort of medication uh, quickly that can relatively quickly, you know, break this sort of like uh, psychotic thinking. And then get back to like just a maintenance type of medication. Um, so it's it's a sort of thing. Where that's what sucks about the hospital is oftentimes you'll be in the hospital, you'll stop being I'll stop being manic, but then I'll just be back in my right mind, completely depressed, and just stuck in there for however amount of time. Okay. Um, and it's uh, it's just it's not fun. That's why it's like I talk about being manic a lot in my act. And I talk about the hospital only a little bit because it's like through stand up, it's really 
I don't know. I, I talk about it a little. I have some bits about it, but I don't talk about it at length because I just don't find it. I don't find myself able. You think like, oh, there must be some crazy stories. It must be so like funny, but I just don't find it that funny. I yeah. Guess. Is it yeah. that it's it, it's it's the part that would just get sort of uh, montaged because it's just sort of the same thing day in day out, and you're just you're just writing tick marks on the wall, and you're just like, nothing happens all day. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. There is a lot of that for sure. You know, it's just like kind of like biding time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's that maybe that very well may be part of it. Um, what do your depressive episodes look like? It, it seems, I mean, it seems like the manic episodes are the more, uh, I don't know, explosive and crazy and, and noteworthy kind of things. But I know that, you know, as a, uh, a, a, a patient of, um, unipolar depression, uh, depression can also really fucking suck. And, um, and really warp your your mind and your perception and really alter the course of your life. So what are the depressive episodes like? Uh, yeah, I mean, they've been I've had some clinical depressions that have been quite debilitating. Um, it's interesting if, if a manic episode of mine gets nipped in the bud fast enough, I generally don't have too much of a come down depression. Um, but for example, that epic one that I was telling you about, I had an equally long eight, eight, nine month depression that was just terrible. Um, I always feel like I'm this sort of like this like husk of my former self, you know, Mm -hmm. I feel like uh, the line that I say in one of my bits is like, I feel like I'm like a lion who's been reduced to a worm, but is tortured by the memory of what it was like to be that lion. Holy shit. That's poetic. I wrote that. That's pretty good. Um, But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I feel lucky in that I've never attempted suicide, but I'd be lying if I said I didn't have the suicidal ideations, you know, comforted by the fact yeah. that it is an option that's an out just because when you're depressed or when I'm depressed and I I get convinced that it's always going to be like that. Yeah. You know, I get convinced that I'm always going to have this slowed down brain that I'm always going to be this uninteresting person that I'm going to always have to be wallowing in all of these regrets and all of this shit. Um, and, you know, you feel very isolated. And at the same time, you don't want to be around anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just, they're terrible. They're banal. They're painful. They're lonely. Um, and and a lot of it, too, is that after a manic episode, your brain has just been working overtime. Right. And so now your brain is healing. And so things are slowing down for a while Um, and you have to just ride that out. And I just I just feel grateful that I've been able to, you know, figure out how to claw my way out of it, start exercising, start doing some yoga, some mindfulness, you know, meditation, eating well. And uh, ultimately, for me, it's always been getting back on stage and doing stand up has always been the thing that's allowed me to kind of reclaim my personality and sense of self-worth um yeah as crazy as that is to have to do stand-up comedy in order to achieve that (laughs) oh but uh you know routines um are are often a good thing for getting yourself out of 
uh, depression I've found, um, and especially something that gets you up in the morning. Um, so you're not just, you know, kind of just, uh, waking up, scrolling on your phone, jerking off, falling back asleep, you know, just until like, oh fuck, it's 1 PM. And then you just feel like a slug the rest of the day. So like having a routine, getting yourself up out of, out of bed has been, uh, huge for me i don't are you a morning person i know with sleep schedules it it can be kind of hard well i'm not a naturally morning person but i agree with you like having something to do to get up to get going to get started Mm -hmm. is huge and having a routine i mean routine is important for me um as well uh day to day um which is somewhat hard to maintain uh perfectly with the lifestyle that i have with going out and doing shows and things like that um but the main marker for me is getting enough sleep. Like, and even my psychiatrist said, she's like, if you can get the same amount of sleep, the same amount of time every night, terrific. She's like, but as long as you're getting enough sleep every, you know, at any given day, uh, you know, she's like, that's good. Do you have trouble sleeping? You'd like find like insomnia spells? Um, I so not in, I wouldn't say insomnia, but I do need some sort of stimulus going on to fall asleep. Like mm-hmm. I need something to be playing in the background and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, and sometimes I feel like if I miss a certain window, then I'll be up considerably later than I want to be up. Do you yeah. find either during your manic spells or your depressive spells that things like just like general, just hygiene maintenance stuff like that just like shaving showering putting on new clothes every day like just like basic human functions eating sleeping and stuff uh is really hard to do because it seems like if that unravels that's really going to contribute to the the episode as well or or at least even be like a physical tell like oh john's growing a beard now you might be uh kind of losing. i don't know i don't know i feel like those things happen as like maybe to an extent as a as a product of being in the throes of an episode like i know that i'll start like potentially like dressing weird and stuff like that when i'm manic you know what i mean um yeah. and if i'm depressed it can be harder to to do that to shave and stuff like that yeah you just don't really feel the motivation to uh to do that sort of thing mm. when i you know i talk to a lot of people who uh, go through like really extreme depression where like they can't get out of bed. They'll end up losing their job. They'll, um, you know, they won't eat. Like it's like full on, like kind of, uh, Gary Goldman kind of describes like the, like his depressive spell was like real bad, you know, he just like fell through the floor. Um, and with me, it hasn't really been something quite like that. I just feel like I maintain stuff. I, you know, get up and move around and like go to work and stuff like that. But like, I just feel almost like I'm watching myself do it. Um, or, or that like, I think, uh, Shane Torres, who you had on your show recently was, was describing it. Like if there's a list of stuff that I have to get done, I'll get it done. But I just won't, um, do it well or do it as good as I could have, or I won't really rise to the occasion. And the thing is that, like, there's, I think, two types of, I don't know, there's a bunch of different types of mental illnesses, but, like, there's two different kind of modes. There's, like, the real hard and fast, like, 
wrecking ball ones like mania or like uh, like an addiction that will like burn your life to the ground within a matter of months, sometimes weeks. And then there's ones that just slowly erode and last for years and you just end up 10 years later just being like, where did all this time go? You know, and, and, and that's more the, the, the kind that I have, I think, is like this really torturous slow burn sort of thing. Um, well, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm sorry that you're dealing with that. How are you, how are you feeling these days? Pretty good, honestly. Like, I, I've been mostly on a pretty good grind. Um, I, I'm right now between therapists, um, but I've been, I've had a pretty good maintenance on it. I'm exercising and stuff and, um, and trying to maintain a, you know, some order in my life. And, you know, I've got a good setup. I've got a nice apartment and a girlfriend and a dog and like things are good. But like, like mainly my issue these days is like material, just money, just making enough money to like, you know, like just, just buy a new outfit or a new phone if I need it. Or like, you know, be able to like take a day off of work if I want, or like have like a semblance of like feeling like an adult with like a retirement and stuff like that is just like, it's just, it, it's, it's been going on too long. And it, yeah. I mean, honestly, a lot of people are struggling with yeah. that. A lot of people are struggling with, with money, especially these days, you know, it's uh, it's super challenging. Um, well, I'm glad, I'm glad relatively speaking that you're in a good place and have some, uh, some good things going on. That's nice to hear. Thank you, you man. Know? Thank you. Yeah. Um, so is there a, uh, history of, mental illness in your family uh yeah to an extent like let's see so my mother has dealt with some depression issues and my and we don't know much about what went on with my grandfather but we know that he was on lithium Mm. uh so maybe he had some sort of mood disorder but my my uh but i was never able to get any more information about that but i mean i'm on lithium um and uh it seems to be working for me um but yeah so i think on my mother's side yes Mm -hmm. and i wonder with me like nobody told me that growing up you know nobody let me know that there's a predisposition towards mood disorders in my family, you yeah. know, like I didn't know that when I was in high school experimenting with drugs that I probably should not have been experimenting with, you know, yeah. it's quite possible that LSD that I took in high school, like, like, uh, maybe it was, maybe it would have manifested anyway, this bipolar disorder, but, uh, it's possible that it brought to the forefront something that maybe would not have become as extreme. I, I just don't know. And that's yeah. another thing that used to bother me. I would be like, oh, my God, I broke my brain. Look what I did to myself. It's all my fault or whatever. Yeah. But I don't feel that way anymore. Yeah, that's got to be terrible. It's got to just add to the shame. Like if you think that it, if you feel like it's your fault, you know, it's like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It's terrible. terrible. Yeah, really yeah, bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think I don't know a whole lot about the story. I mean, I want to read more into it, but I know that, uh, you know, Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys uh, struggled a lot with uh, schizophrenia, uh, his, his whole life. And, uh, it's been theorized by a lot of people that, uh, him taking drugs in his twenties, like did not really help that and might've even like just exacerbated it and made it 
much worse. So like, yeah, that doesn't sound, um, you know, outside of the, uh, you know, realm of possibility, but it's also like, you know, how could he know? How could you know? Like it's, it's a thing that people do and the warnings that, you know, anti-drug programs like dare shit, like will give you are just so like, cartoonish and unbelievable that it really doesn't help provide a realistic warning for like what could happen. It just is like, it just seems hysterical. Um, yeah, you know, it's like reefer madness kind of shit. So you're like, okay, whatever. Um, but then in some cases it, it really does fuck people up. Yeah. I think it's a little bit of a roll of the dice, you know, for sure. Um, so what are the signs, uh, you, you said you have kind of a, a, like a warning system in place, um, you know, with, with some close friends, which I think is really cool. And I think there's like, God, the power of friendship, man, you know, like, isn't it, isn't it like beautiful that there, there are people who, um, will take that on and, and really appreciate it. And probably in some cases have uh have had have taken some splash damage from the uh from the 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 episodes in the past and are still willing to just be like okay it's fine i'm gonna i've got you next time and i'm gonna help you out so like yeah um, it's greatly appreciated and it's like you know the thing where they're they have they have they're connected to or have contact with my psychiatrist so like if things go off the rails they can message her and then mm-hmm. she could kind of give advice to hopefully try to get me someplace. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it's still a challenge because the last place when I'm manic, the last place I want to go is where I need to go, which is the hospital. Yeah. Um, so it is a tricky maneuver. But uh, but yeah, I'm very grateful to have close friends like that. And, you know, and it's and uh, I like to think that when I'm well, you know, I'm there for them in a lot of ways, too. You know, and uh, that's how friendship works, you know? Yeah. Um, when you're in the throes of a, an episode and you need to be hospitalized, is, is there often like a resistance directly related to like a, like a paranoid, um, train of thought that's like, oh, this is, uh, them trying to get me and subdue me. And this is the, the CIA trying to like black hood me. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily been that specifically that cia black hood delusion thing but there is a sort of thing where it's like no i'm this like special person that's on this you know that's like out here trying to kind of like create like a heaven on earth scenario and avoid a hell on earth scenario like i don't need to go into the hospital that's ridiculous like people are just trying to like you know trying to like uh diminish me or something like that so it is. Yeah. There's, there is resistance, but then bizarrely, sometimes if my friends just like bring me there, I'll just go. It's huh. like, it's hard to explain. Yeah. It's really hard to explain. It's very strange. Yeah. It's, I mean, but sometimes I, mean, I won't, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, this is really scary. I'll tell you this. Like the last episode that happened a couple of years ago, uh, and I was like drinking a lot and smoking a lot and everything like that. My, psychiatrist wanted to get me on this like stronger medication to hopefully bring me down from being manic and we're trying to 
see if we could avoid a hospitalization. And also I didn't want to go to the hospital, which was going to mean it was going to be difficult to get me into the hospital. So, so she, uh, got, so she put in, uh, she called in a couple of medications for me and my friend went to go pick them up. And one of which the side medication was, uh, was like a small dose of uh, Xanax mm-hmm. uh, because the thinking was if I'm coming off of all this drinking, there's going to be anxiety attached to that and that I might need to take that for that, like that um, for whatever reason. So when my friend gets back, she hands me the medication and in my mind, I thought that at this point, at this time, I thought that like members of this weird international group called the World Economic Forum. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of them or not. Yes. But uh, yeah, but they uh, I thought them and their leader, this guy, Klaus Schwab, were like trying to kill me um, or something like that. But like me and Sinead O'Connor were like working together to like it's always these Irish singers. You got I know I identify with this weird Irish thing. Um, <laughs> I also identify with. Uh, with Rastafarian culture as well. Like I keep thinking I'm the reincarnation of the Rastafarian Messiah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think, <laughs> which you, I talk you... about in my act. Like I talk about like how disappointed the Rasta community would be if it turned out <laughs> I was their Messiah. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. 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 So, so anyway, I thought that I had to like pretend to take myself off the board, like pretend to be dead in order for them to stop trying to like kill me. Mm-hmm. Um, so she hands me for some reason, she just handed me like all of the Xanax, like the whole bottle. I just like popped the whole thing. You know what I mean? Oh, um, which was scary. Uh, and, um, and so it, it actually in a weird, in the weirdest way, it was like all for the good because I was okay. They didn't need to pump my stomach or anything like that. It right. got me into the hospital. You know what I mean? It allowed them to call the EMTs. So then right. it got me into the hospital and then I was able to get moved to a uh, to a psychiatric hospital. And then I was like and then I was OK after a couple of weeks. You know, I was but I, I don't know what would have happened, how, how they would have gotten me into the hospital otherwise. Wow. So it's an imperfect system. It's very hard. Like I was just talking with a friend of mine. She works. um she works as like a nurse practitioner in uh in uh psych emergency and stuff like that mm-hmm. and she's in a situation with somebody where she knows the person needs to get uh hospitalized but can't force them to do it you know yeah it's so it, it's dicey it's a it's a fucking quagmire uh mental health care in this country in general is just like that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. But yeah. also this is, it's just that there's sometimes there's just not great answers when it comes to someone that's dealing with right. a mental even, illness. Even in a, a, a more perfect system, there is still going to be uh, just untenable situations is what you're saying? Yeah. Or it's basically, yeah. it's it's hard to balance, specifically with hospitalizations, it's hard to balance the thing of like, okay, this person needs this because they're doing real damage to themselves and others. And, oh, this person's civil rights yeah, to not be just thrown into a hospital. It's a very, that, it's a very delicate balance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. 
Uh, so what are other than kind of like routine and exercise um, are some of your, you know, just what's in your toolkit for um, for managing, uh, I don't know, just just everything going on uh, and 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 trying to keep a keep an eye on, you know, your your health bar mentally. Well, yeah, for me, part of it is is not drinking or doing any drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, You're fully sober now. I am. I am. I remember the the episode you recorded. I just listened to it. I was cramming a bunch of your episodes to kind of get in the headspace. Uh, the episode you recorded with Carlos Delgado, where you were talking about how uh, you were mostly just kind of jealous that he gets to smoke weed all the time, <laughs> um, was like, yeah, it must it must suck. Like it must like. I I enjoy weed a lot and um I like the idea that it would just like not be compatible fully with my brain chemistry like it it must just really be a I'm over it. You're over I mean, it now. Yeah. yeah, I mean there's a lot of things to be upset about in this life. Yeah. But I can't smoke weed. It's really fine. You well, because you I mean? have, you know, you have such a special brain, John. You know, you're 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 a prototype. You know, you're you you have a, a very unique chemical makeup that just isn't uh, compatible with 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 a lot of the stuff that that us uh, normies have to put in there to make life okay. Yeah, let's yeah let's look at it through that light. <laughs> that sounds great. Thanks, man. Um, luckily, Carlos has a whole wealth of other problems, so we're good. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's great. He's great. Um, but yeah, let's see. So that interestingly, my psychiatrist told me, and she said this, and I didn't even bring it up, or, or I just said like, yeah, you know, I'm doing good. I'm taking my medication, staying sober, exercising, you know. Da, da. And she was like, she just goes, oh, she's like, it's not like you can never have a drink. I was like, why did you even? <laughs> why did you even say that? Yeah, I don't know if that. I don't know if that's a good thing to. Yeah. Say to somebody I don't know. like right. I'm. I'm really... not even like a therapist, and I would never like. Anytime anybody I know, any of my friends, any guests on my show, or like they're like, I want to stop, or I've had a problem with this, and I'm you know like this is, and I'm like, cool, great, full stop. Like, I am not going to encourage you to like you to 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 go that way like i i yeah. don't know why you would want I thought to talk it was somebody weird. out of like that is very weird it is weird um but i mean i really don't feel any need to drink or anything like that so i guess tools in my bag is uh sobriety part of the picture for me is medication i always feel torn about medication because i hate big pharma so much and Fair. i truly believe yeah that they don't care if we live or die. You're um, probably right. It's like it's 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 a hard again. That's a delicate balance between like the drugs themselves uh, and the you know like what they can do for people. I think is fairly sound, but then the capitalist machination behind it is uh, one of the worst forces in the universe. So it's, yeah, it's hard and to, some of the medications are they even scientifically sound? You know what I mean? The, the side effect profiles are terrible. Mm-hmm. The, you know, like twenty five percent of medications that get put on the market have to end up having like a, you know, like like some some large number. I'm trying for trying to remember. Like they either get pulled or they have to have like a black box label put on them mm-hmm. because of all sorts of like uh, all sorts of side effects and stuff like that. It's it's crazy. I mean, the FDA. 
and the pharmaceutical companies are like a revolving door. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, it's so corrupted that it's it's nuts, you know, but at the same time, I am somebody that I believe that I do need to be on this medication. So I feel very sort of like it's almost like, uh, I don't know, like a paradox or something like that. Yeah. Um, it's but other tools in my bag. Uh -huh. uh, I mean, and then it comes and goes in terms of how consistent I am, right? Like I was consistently doing yoga a lot. Then I moved to a new place that is farther away from where I like to do yoga. So I've been doing it less frequently. You know what I mean? But is, is yoga, yoga kind of your go-to exercise? Yeah, it is. Mm. Um, and uh, what is it about yoga specifically that, that, that gets you? What's your, uh, I think I like that there's physicality to it. And then also that there's a mindfulness element to mm -hmm. it as well. So I like that it kind of checks both of those boxes. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's why I like that. And then just like, you know, I, eating well, eating like a low inflammation diet. Like for me, I'm primarily vegan for the past number of years, um, which you can be unhealthy being a vegan as well. But like, I think I do a pretty good job with that. Um, and uh, yeah, connecting with my psychiatrist. I'm also between talk therapists right now because I was doing the, I was doing, I had a talk therapist through better help. Mm -hmm but I got burnt out on that, like just talking to the screen. So I'd really like to find somebody in person. Yeah. Um, so that's another, that's another piece of the puzzle to get back in place. But, and also for me having a creative outlet, doing comedy, writing, working on that is a very important part of the picture for my mental well being. Um, insurance wise, are you okay? Like set up to, to have a, a, a therapist? Yeah, I'm okay. That's good. That's good. It can be really hard for, for like the reason that I'm between therapists right now is because I was going to Columbia. Um, they have like their psych program does a their oh, I forget what it, it, what level they're actually training. I think they're going for their PhD. So they already have an MD, which is cool because they can pres prescribe you medicine. They're fairly young. They're on like the cutting edge of like uh, different modes, modalities of therapy. Um, and they're, you know, they're just, they're not burnt out yet. They're like young and hungry. The drawback is, and, and, and it's free, which is like hands down the coolest part. Um, but the drawback is, uh, A, you have to go all the way up to 168th Street, uh, Columbia campus. And B, um, every couple of years, they graduate. And then you're stuck starting over with another therapist again. And it like, it got to where it was just like time for me to, time for me to move on from it and that was you know a scary step that's interesting yeah that's really interesting but you needed something you need something ultimately more consistent i feel i yeah i feel like i would want something where it's like more uh where i don't feel like i i'm just kind of burning through time and then just like after a while it's just like okay bye and then i have to start the whole process over like get the get to know this new person and have them get to know me and my whole backstory. And like, I'm from the Midwest and I have a sister and I, my parents are still together and blah, blah, like build that whole fucking backstory, you know, like ugh. <laughs> every, yeah, every couple of years. Enough. Fuck that. Yeah. I felt like the person in better health, better help. I felt like she was good. She gave a fuck. Um, yeah. but I think she was so overwhelmed with having so many clients mm -hmm. that it just became us just like, just checking in. It didn't feel like therapy in any respect, yeah. you know? And I'd be like, some days I'd just be like, I don't really have anything. I don't even know what we're talking about right now. 
Um, I don't know how people do it, how people in therapy really... And the answer is often they don't, I think. Often they, they are burnt out and they don't have the right... They're not in the right uh, headspace to speak to their, their clients or their patients, whatever you want to call them. Um, and that can that can be bad. Like the, like the, the level of responsibility, like I've thought, you know, like since I think and talk and blah, blah, blah so much about, uh, mental health stuff about like, should I get it? Should I get into the therapy? Like, should I try and be, you know, get a license and do this with my life? Um, and then I think about the fact that like, no, nah, man, I walk dogs for a living and I barely have the emotional bandwidth to like walk 10 dogs a day without just like getting burnt out and not having patience and like yelling at the dog and like at the end <laughs> of the day and just being like, you're so fucking annoying, you know, and just and just not really being able to take on that caseload. So I can't picture uh, the the overwhelming caseload of human beings with real human problems and very delicate psyches that I have to like be very patient with and sit in the room with them and look like, Oh man, I don't know how people do it. Yeah. Yeah. It seems very, very challenging and almost superhuman to be able to do it. Um, for sure. But yeah, I mean, she was good, but I think she was just getting burnt out and, uh, and then she was leaving. She was leaving BetterHelp anyway, and I was like, "All right, you know." Yeah, sometimes it it, it kind of it, it felt like it was just the time, you know. Yeah. Like I'd been through, I don't know how many different therapists was it one, two, three, four, what, four or five uh, in the past ten years, um, and my latest one was moving on from the program, was graduating. And they were going from remote, like back to in person. And I was like, I got to fucking schlep all the way back up to Harlem every week to go see. But like, no, I'm done. Like, I, it's a it's a it's three hours all told. It's an hour there, an hour in the chair, an hour back. No, like I can't I don't have time for that anymore. I can't do this anymore. And it was just it was time to pull the plug. Yeah, fair enough, man. Here we are, man. We're we're fucking we're raw dog in life. We're white knuckling it, as they say <laughs> in, in, in the programs, you know. Um, I've had a, a a theory for a while that there's like kind of like overlap between different disorders, like almost like a Venn diagram, where like I notice symptoms of ADHD uh, will be present in other disorder like like uh, BPD or autism spectrum disorder um, where sometimes I feel like and and you had uh, Anders Lee on the show um, who's great I've had him on my show too um, and he his feeling is that he was just sort of arbitrarily diagnosed with um, with autism spectrum disorder which is which I thought was really interesting because sometimes I feel like I was more or less arbitrarily assigned ADHD at a young age um and it might be something else like they might have just missed the mark and maybe I have BPD maybe I'm on the autism spectrum I don't know but like it's it's really hard to get a handle on have you found uh have you well, had ex experiences like that well, Anders is an interesting case because he's rejected his diagnosis, which causes a lot of controversy. Like yeah. the response I got from that episode was some people, 
identifying with that and then other people thinking I was a very hurtful point of view mm-hmm. um, or, or a, like a dangerous point of view. Um, but right. I was just there to let Anders just sort of say his his piece, yeah. you know? I mean, I, I don't think that he was... When I first heard him talk about that, I, I think, like, I misunderstood and thought that he was saying, like, autism isn't real or, like, he doesn't believe that it exists. And I don't think that's... Like, what I think he's saying is he doesn't think that he has it. You know, like, he's saying, oh, it's a thing, but not me. I'm not the one. I think that's what he's saying, too. But sometimes he does go as far as to say he doesn't know if it's a helpful label for anybody. Mm. You know what I mean? I think. Or maybe I'm I'm misinterpreting that. Maybe I'm misinterpreting that. But, uh, no, I think he says, like, I think that's not fair. I think he more says, like, if someone finds that that label is helpful for them, Mm -hmm. so be it. But like what? But he's also saying like, what does it even mean? You know what I mean? Like he's saying it's too much of an umbrella term. Yeah. That kind of like is a term for some for two people that are experiencing very drastically different life experiences. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. But yeah. But what was the uh, what was the question? Oh yeah. So so basically, I think we talked about this a little bit, and I actually talked about this with Blair. Uh, Postman, who I had on my podcast today, she has ADHD. Um, and we were talking about how these labels of these diagnoses are very imperfect mm-hmm. and how there are symptoms that overlap from diagnosis, diagnoses to diagnoses. So how can people just be labeled and pigeonholed as this thing? I know we talked about this earlier, but yeah. um, but I think that I think that your Venn diagram theory is correct. And I think that a lot of uh, trends in psychology now or to look at things through that, through that light. Yeah. It's like when I was listening to your episode with, uh, what's her name? Jen Tisdale about, uh, BPD. Uh, I was like, you know, like again, like I, I walk around all day with dogs listening to podcasts and like anytime I hear people talk about, uh, BPD especially like I get real emotional and was like getting emotional on the street. Just like, mm, just because, uh, for the longest time, there was no explanation for like my big ass emotions that would come through sometimes because like that wasn't for a long time defined as part of ADHD. It was just like, oh uh, yeah, you have trouble paying attention and sitting still and you're jittery and uh, you're bad at school and bad at having a job. The end. Here's some, here's some Adderall. That was kind of my understanding of it up until like my late twenties when uh, I forget where I learned this was like, oh yeah, emotional dysregulation is also a big part of ADHD, impulsivity, uh, sexual compulsivity and all of that stuff. And I was just like, Thank you for fucking telling me that. It's just like, Jesus. Oh, my God. Like, so, um, yeah, I don't know. It can can be a real, uh, like you said, uh, the labels can be imperfect, but it's kind of all we got to go on for now, you know, and and I think we just have to kind of roll with it and keep learning and keep evolving and keep changing, you know, as, as, as as it goes. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think Jen Tisdale, uh, and I really love the episodes with her. Um, oh, it was I great. think that yeah. she that was a really opens good up one. about borderline personality mm-hmm. disorder in such an honest and uh, vulnerable and endearing and funny way, to be honest. Um, and uh, she and she says how relieved she was to get the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So. 
people do have different different takes. Sometimes the label can be helpful to be like, oh, this is why I'm having these emotional outbursts. This is why I'm idealizing people or catastrophizing them, mm-hmm. demonizing them one moment, one minute, idealizing them the next. Um, there's a there's a there's a diagnosis for this, and there's treatment for this uh dialectic behavioral therapy yeah um and uh yeah it's it's uh it's it's like it's complicated (laughs) it's complicated (laughs) (laughs) fucking a uh we should wrap up but uh is there anything else you wanted to uh touch on or impart to some 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 parting shots some wisdom for my listeners uh, yeah, sure. What I'd like to say is different mental health diagnoses, even something like bipolar one disorder, which is relatively severe. It's not like a death sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, you really can come out the other end of it and live like a, a full well life and stuff like that. And I think that um, I think that ultimately i'm happy to say that i'm in a good place and that i um i am excited about what i'm going to do moving forward if i can stay well and have this level of energy and creativity i'm i'm super psyched about the next chapter in my life and i've been through a lot and my psychiatrist thinks now that i could potentially stay well for the long haul and you can maybe even you can maybe even have a drink if you want Maybe, maybe <laughs> it's not a priority, but right. uh, maybe. Um, so yeah, what I like to say is that you can get help, you can thrive. You don't. It's not like you're just getting by. You can really still thrive in this life. And you know, life is challenging. We get thrown, you know, weird curveballs. We get thrown, you know, we get dealt weird hands. But uh, you can push through, and there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Amen, brother. Um let's do plugs uh people want to find you your work your podcast i know you got are you still doing live from outer space talk about all that okay sounds good thank you um yeah uh first thing i'll say is i have a stand-up comedy special online uh it's called the manic depressive chocolate fountain operator super proud of it um would be so cool if you watched that all you have to do is type my name, John F. O'Donnell, into YouTube. It's the first video that comes up. Uh, It would be awesome if you could check that out. Leave a like and a comment, maybe. Um, There's that. Second thing is my podcast. It's called Take Your Pills Psychopath. Um, More than would love for you guys to check that out. If you like this show, you will love that show, folks. Yeah, I'm going to say it's in the same sandbox as this show, Mm -hmm. if you want to check that out. and uh, if you're in, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at the real JFOD. I'll follow you back. I won't create some sort of weird hierarchical social media structure. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Uh-huh. Um, and finally, if you are in the uh, New York area every Friday night, me and my friends run a really fun live stand up show. It's called Live from Outer Space. It's uh, at Cobra Club at nine o'clock in the Bushwick, Brooklyn neighborhood. 
Hell yeah. I'm, I still need to get out and see that. I had Max Bruno on the show uh, except time last winter, and I thought he was fucking awesome. He was so good. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, Max is awesome. And uh, it, it just it's a matter of just getting my ass. For, I live in Red Hook, and just a matter of getting my ass to out to Bushwick. Uh, usually, like, even, like, especially, like, after... Uh, like 7 p.m. where I'm just like dead to the world. I'm just like, I can't fucking go back out there. It's crazy, you know? Fair enough. Fair yeah, enough, it's man. hard, but I will get out there and I will see you soon. That sounds good, man. It's great to meet you and great to connect with you. Thanks for uh, having me on. Hell yeah, man. Thank you once again to John F. O'Donnell. Isn't he great? Oh my God. The... It never ceases to amaze me the way people come to this show and are willing to just like really bare their souls to a, a total stranger. It's really cool and I really appreciate it and we're doing it all for the mental health community. We're just, we're bringing it to you. We're, we're, we're showing you the inner machinations of our stupid brains. So thanks again to John and, uh, you know, go check out his shit. Like I said, at the top of the show, he's a fucking ace. Um, and, uh, that's all. I don't know. Again, I'll do my plugs, uh, patreon.com slash self worst or no. Yeah. Patreon.com slash self worst. Oh my God, bro. I'm losing it and I'm not going to start over. I do this thing sometimes where, uh, I get, uh, little tongue tied on the mic and then I stop and then I start again and then it just it really then I have to take it 10 times over so we're just gonna fucking plow ahead if you don't mind um patreon.com I already said that and follow me on socials uh radical pearson on instagram and twitter see my cute little face on my social media and my little cute memes I think I'm so funny um, and, uh, email the show, selfhorse at gmail.com and, uh, patreon.com. I already said that. Okay. Losing it. I need to take a nap and we need to pack for the beach and, uh, we need to, I need to just, I need to just, uh, take a couple of days off. I've, uh, been a little, I've had an intense week. Just a lot. It's just, just busy dentist bills, a lot of stuff. So I need to just like, and uh, so I'm going to go do that. And that's your homework. Take a breather. Weekend's coming up. It's not so hot out in New York now. You know, go, go chill, go to the park, get a nice book and go read. Just go do something nice for yourself. You deserve it. I know that our society is uh, really punishing and really fucking like weird Protestants uh, punishing work ethic. You know, you must suffer and grind and hustle all the time. But, and you know, you haven't earned your rest. What do you think you've done to deserve a vacation? Blah, blah, blah. Fuck that. Take some time. Chill. You know, do whatever you gotta do. Take a bath. Rub one out. Play with a dog. Uh... You know, watch some TV, go talk to a friend, skateboard. I don't know what the fuck you do. Just do whatever. Do a nice thing for yourself. All right? Music is by Shea Bartel. Thank you, Shea. I'm Brad Pearson. Until next time, don't kill yourself 
we'll all be dead soon enough. <laughs>